I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will and I'm here with my two friends, Ant and Anna. Hi. Bonjour. This week we are talking about the year 1393 and I'd like each of us, please, to give our three-word preview of what we're discussing today. Ant. Busy Bulgarian boys. (laughs) Busy Bulgarian boys. Makes sense to me. That's the Anna. best kind of boy. <laughs> uh, the best kept busy. The best kept busy in Bulgaria. My three words are, this party's lit. <laughs> this party's lit. Lit. And that's the, a modern slang expression. Yes, for... the youths say. Okay, or is it just well illuminated? I guess we'll see. <laughs> Excellent. And mine is annoyingly accomplished poet. <laughs> Is this the day when you read your autobiography? Yeah. Are you podcast? jealous of this other poet? There's, not, there's no one on earth I'm more jealous of than another annoyingly accomplished <laughs> poet. <laughs> okay, onwards. Oh, shit, it's me. Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> this week, I'm going to talk about the English poet and author, Geoffrey Chaucer. Oh, ah. I've heard of him. You have? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. From the movie A Knight's Tale. <laughs> should I still go on? Yeah, yeah I think you should. Okay. Yeah. So Chaucer is a hugely influential figure for the English language and English culture. And he's been called the father of English literature and the father of English poetry. He's called oh. both those things. Mm. Uh, and-, and the uncle of English <laughs> canoeing. <laughs> Very into Little canoeing. Known. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as a measure of his influence, almost two thousand english words are first seen in his manuscripts wow and okay in alphabetical order those words are 
so yeah, so he's a big deal, this guy, and he was also the first writer to be buried in what's now called Poet's Corner, which yeah. I think has come up on a previous it episode. It has come up on a previous episode, and using my memory brain to remember what that was, uh-huh. that is in the big churchy place in the middle of London. <laughs> That's right, St. Paul's. And that came up in Not our St. Paul's, Westminster, Westminster Abbey, Abbey. The other one. episode when you talked yeah. about the construction of Westminster Abbey. It's right. And that's where they that's stick right. all the, the dead poets. Society. Society. It's, it's <laughs> where the society meets, yeah. That's yeah. all correct. Um, it's like all history, it's like it's all part of the same wonderful diorama. It's, yeah, the same story. Yeah. <laughs> it's like We're one... just colouring in very slowly a map of the entire human experience. But um, interestingly, beyond his writing, he was also famous at the time as a philosopher and Ooh. astronomer and composed the scientific work uh, treatise on the astrolabe for his 10-year-old son, Lewis. And he was also a career... <laughs> I bet Lewis really appreciated that. <laughs> Wait, like, he... Dad, I just wanted a football. <laughs> he wrote a book about how to do astronomy, basically, for his kid. For his kid. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But like, Agreed. Like, probably the kid didn't read it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he was also a career civil servant and a bureaucrat and a rural courtier. God. He was a diplomat and a member of parliament. So what I'm going to talk about now uh, is basically all the bits beyond the writing, uh, because okay. I really mm. want to paint a picture of who this guy was, because his life beyond the writing is kind of forgotten, really. Yeah. And he was a big figure in lots of ways, and not just for his, like, confusing, rhyming old English. <laughs> um, so yeah, so everything I'm going to talk about is really about everything else he did and to appreciate the real Chaucer because he had this most extraordinary life. So he was born in London, most likely in the early 1340s, probably in 1343. Um, but we're, not, we're not really sure, but around then. And the Chaucer family is also just like extraordinary as well in its own way and partly as, a, as an example of social mobility more than anything. So his great grandfather was a tavern keeper. His grandfather was then a wine salesman. So you can kind of see that he's uh-huh. going uh-huh. up. His yeah. father was then a Tequila. Very, was, <laughs> was a bottle maker. Yeah, yeah he's going up the stream. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And his mother was a grape. <laughs> All the way back to source. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And um, his, his mother was a grape. So the, <laughs> the, his father, John Chaucer, then was a very important wine merchant okay. and got a royal appointment as part of that um, role. And so he owes a huge amount to taverns and the booze industry love that and yeah. that the was only really... real way to get ahead in england yeah. at the yeah, time right or currently <laughs> and um here's here's a weird thing that happened in his family history so in 1324 it turns out his father john chaucer was kidnapped by an aunt in the hope of marrying the, uh, the boy to her daughter to try and keep uh, the property that they owned as a family uh, oh. in, in switch so but but which basically tells you that by the time his father was a child they're already quite a wealthy family yeah, and yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. vying to keep the money to marry their cousins to marry exactly. their cousins exactly. that's okay. the only way to keep your wealth yep <laughs> agreed and <laughs> the aunt was then imprisoned and fined 250 pounds which oh. is about 200,000 pounds now oh, oh wow God. that's a lot yeah. Of money. yeah yeah so it's a lot of money and there's just generally a lot going on there in that story so that, that probably in fact, super backfired on her <laughs> massively <laughs> Uh, and Chaucer's dad then married a guy called a guy no an, well, I would be an interesting twist yeah he married someone called Agnes Copton who inherited a whole bunch of properties uh, including 24 shops in London from her uncle 24 shops what kind of shops are we talking like a local Nissa type mm. thing are we like corner <laughs> shop or are we talking like some really bougie yeah, like, how many, how many on Regent Street kind of stuff you know I think they were all um, Tesco-y expressies oh, okay. uh, yeah. ye olde Tesco ye, ye olde what's, Tesco-y what's the American expressies? equivalent of Tesco Express. 
It's like oh, CVS seven yeah. or Target. Yeah, CVS, really. E. It's great that we have to explain the joke. <laughs> <laughs> that really makes it funny. Now, everyone should come to England so they can experience Tesco Express in, on their own. Other convenience stores are available. And when it comes to Chaucer's life, one of the big differences between him and his other contemporary writers that were around at the time, so there's a guy called William Langland, there was a guy, there's another guy who maybe uh, Annie have come across called Gawain Poet. Uh, <laughs> no? Okay. Gawain. Oh, is he the reason the word poet exists? <laughs> Gawain He is not. Oh. He is not. Uh, I am taking Gawain Poet for my rap alias, though, <laughs> if that's okay with everyone. But the, the main difference between him and all these other dudes is that he had this like quite well-to-do family and then he himself was a, like a bureaucrat. And yeah. so there's lots that we know about his life. There's loads of record keeping about Chaucer. And that's part of why he's become an object of historical fascination and the other people like slightly less so. And so uh, the first like Chaucer life records actually appeared during his life when he became a noblewoman's page. With a noble, noblewoman was the Countess of Ulster. Mm. That he got through this, his father's connections. And then I'll just go through, I won't go through everything he then did over the following like 20 Monday, years. Oats. <laughs> Brisk he, walk in the park. Basically, he's just had loads of adventures. Yeah. And, I think, and I think this is just something that isn't really commonly covered in your English literature syllabus. It's just who this guy was who's writing this thing. So in 1359, during the early stages of the Hundred Years' War, Edward III, who was the king at the time, invaded France and Chaucer travelled with Lionel of Antwerp who was the husband of the, the woman he was the page to. And, um, and then as part of that guy's uh, sort of entourage, he was formed part of the English army. And the following year, he was captured at the Siege of Rennes. And the king and ki- the king at the time, King Edward, then paid £16 of his ransom back from France. So he got, you know, he got captured, ransomed back. Wow. Um, and then from there, he seems to have travelled across France, Spain and Flanders. He went on pilgrimage to the Santiago de Compostela. And um, and then in 1366, he married a lady in waiting to the queen. So mm. he's very much like in, you know, he's not in nobility. Yeah, but he's, yeah. he's still in, in high orbit. society. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a hanger on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like just a generally useful person and trusted person. Uh, and uh, yeah, although a level down from nobility. So he then studied law and he became member of the royal court of the king as a, as a valet de chambre. A uh, valet de chambre. Is that the guy yeah. that holds the pot <laughs> for the king? No, that's the guy that parks the car <laughs> yeah. in the bedroom. In the bedroom. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is actually, and I quote, a position which could entail a wide variety of tasks, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> that is saucy. Wink, wink. And saucy, chaucy. His... <laughs> saucy, chaucy. That's... I damn you for getting to there first. <laughs> And his wife also received a pension from the court uh, for employment as well. So she was in the mix as well, yep. being useful as lady in, in waiting. And he was just travelling all over the place. So he went to Milan uh, for an aristocrat's wedding where, and then to France again as part of mm. another military expedition. In 1373, he visited Genoa and Florence where he encountered the, some of the most prominent Italian poets at the time and had formed close relationships with them and read all, all about how they were going about their work. Did they rap battle? They did. They rap battles. Yeah. Yes, absolutely right. That was <laughs> yeah. in Florence. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. That's right, in 1373. Yeah. And in 1377, on a, he went on a secret mission huh. to arrange a marriage between the future King Richard II and a French princess to try what? and end the Hundred Years' War. Uh, but they couldn't negotiate the deal properly and the war, kept, the war continued. So he's just, Man, he's really just, he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. Huge number of fingers. And <laughs> Ten <laughs> at least. <laughs> Uh, so I'll, I'll give a couple more. I mean, it, it just goes on and on and on. And I think you sort of get yeah, the impression yeah, yeah. of this, what this guy's like. It's yeah. just the most extraordinary life. And the the writing is 
you know, which is so influential for English culture, is almost incidental compared yeah. to yeah. everything else he's doing. Uh, so the next year, in, in 1378, Richard II then sent Chaucer as a secret envoy to Sir John Hawkwood, who was an English mercenary in, in Milan. And it's been speculated then that Hawkwood was the guy he played, he based the character of the knight in, uh, in, in, the, in Canterbury Tales, mm. not, not the, the character of the knight on in, from Canterbury Tales. Uh, yeah, so anyway, his, his life just went on like this. He was at the heart of political intrigue and and just had adventure after adventure. Uh, and I absolutely won't go through everything. But then in, in 1390, so about you know 12 years later, he was then robbed and injured on one of these adventures. Oh, no. And then seems to have slowed down a bit after that, understandably. Yeah. Uh, and then in thir- so in 1393, which is that the year? <gasps> that, that is yeah. the year. Because yeah. 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 he was born, he he was born in 1343, right? That's right. So he's 50. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. This is a, a breakneck overview of his 50 years yeah yeah yeah. yeah i love yeah. it <laughs> so 1393 uh, he was then granted a pension by the king so that's his second service. pension Ugh. oh he's not his wife's double got a pension. Oh, okay yeah oh, he's, okay. He's, this is he's his, this is his yeah exactly so he's getting this official patronage from the king uh, for all his service and literary achievements and it's quite a generous one and then event and then he died on that's the only thing that happened in the 1393 by the way what had he got a pension that's the whole whole year the complete pivot point for for this year for 1393 at Chaucer is that he got a pension like I love it wow wow. hey look I mentioned a thing that happened this is true you are by the rules scot free you have succeeded uh, so he then died on the 25th of October, 1400, probably from natural causes, though there's some speculation. So only he's... seven years of pension. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, oh. he didn't maximise that benefit. <laughs> uh, he might have been murdered after the, because his, his main patron, King Richard II, had died uh, just before that. And so it's speculated that the, the successor's gang might have uh, murdered him amongst the various murders. Oh, it was like a loyalist to the former king or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Okay. Interesting. Anyway, so there you have it. Just the most incredible life, Geoffrey Chaucer. And the writing was just like, the least he also yeah. did yes yeah. Yeah. exactly right have you guys read the canterbury tales i have yeah do you have to read it as, as a child we did yeah. yeah i did not read it yeah i have not read it and i will not and read I, it. <laughs> and God damn it i will not read it i will die on this hill <laughs> I, I it's very good once you kind of get into the rhythm of the yeah. language i did used to live in canterbury and the tales i have from there are uh, <laughs> not fit for print probably not fit for print yeah 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 <laughs> amazing Cool. So, for my turn, busy Bulgarian boys, we're going to talk about the Ottoman Empire. Ooh. Now, we've they've not, been on the periphery. They've been on the periphery. We've never really focused on them, which yeah. is alarming. And I did not know this before researching this, but they were a big, big empire. Like yeah. serious players in the NFL for, for empires. <laughs> and they lasted a long time. One of the longest lasting empires, in fact. Yeah. And they lasted from about 1299. And when do you think they kind of finished up? Ish. The Ottomans? Yeah. Like hmm. 1920? Yeah. 1922. Okay, yeah. boring quiz then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hold on, let me say something extravagant. So yeah, yeah, I thought you were going to... Like, okay, yeah. no, fine. Just me that didn't really know that then. <laughs> um, they spanned Europe, Asia, Africa, and, uh, you know, 600 years of history incredible feat and it was started by one chap called Osman uh, Osman the first and he called himself Sultan and he raided and expanded his territories uh, against the Byzantines which were the other big players around this time in 1299 it's very very fuzzy of course when we go back that far so we don't know what's really true and what's not true about Osman but uh, suffice to say that Ozzy basically just rolled over the uh, people around him took over Brussa 
And uh, that's where his mm. tomb still is. Mm. So uh, Osman, very successful dude. And then by the 1300s, um, after picking up momentum, early 1300s, they started professionalizing the army. So rather than local militias just banding together for a war and then collapsing back into sort of farming in peacetime again, they uh, came up with this idea uh, and they called them the Janissaries. Yeah. And so the Janissaries were a really interesting class of sort of uh, military people whereby they sort of uh, gathered Christians of the conquered peoples in the areas that they took over and they made this formed military units huh. and this formed army and they're extremely loyal and it was the first full-time army in Europe. So all the Janissaries were Christians? All the Janissaries I think were Christian, yeah, that's from what I can see. Um uh, and the Ottomans made strategic alliances with the Byzantines as well, but they swiftly stabbed them in the back yeah, whenever God. it was convenient to them. And they expanded like into their areas. And the, the the Byzantine emperor was like, please, please stop for the sake of things. They're like, okay, cool. And then they, they didn't stop. Um, so by the third sultan, which is a chap by the name of Bayezid, they basically had rolled over most of modern day Turkey, but stalled at Constantinople. Um, uh, and they doubled down just pillaging and raiding and expanding around the around the areas. And they expanded into the Balkans, took over Macedonia rather swiftly. And then Bulgaria was next on the list. And, and by then they saw swarms of busy boys. <laughs> swarms of busy boys. Um, and by 1382, uh, they tried to force an annexation. They said, hey, look, just be a vassal state of ours and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave you alone. To Bulgaria. To Bulgaria. Um and they they said no, and so lots of scrapping ensued. They also went on to Serbia, and it's just a domino effect of just all these places just falling to the Ottomans that were just, you know, this Janissary army just able to just take on anything yeah. that came up. Against. Except Bulgaria. They were holding out. Except for Bulgaria at the moment, so parts of Bulgaria. But um, uh, after expanding so far, the, you know, the, the Karaman Emperor in the south were then threatening the borders of the Ottoman Emperor Empire. So they um, they had to go back there and back and forth, kind of fighting them and go back to the front lines again in the northwest. Um, so uh, the, there's an instable peace and they went back to Constantinople to, to, to siege it. So 1393, the year in question, this saw the siege then and the conquering in Bulgaria of Turnovgrad. Turnovgrad. Yeah. Which is the name of the place. Yeah. Let's go with it. Uh, Sounds totally reasonable. Its modern day name is much easier to pronounce. It's Veliko Tarnovo. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. that's fine. Uh, 17th of July uh, was when the siege happened. So three months. Uh, and the Christian patriarch, which we'll talk about a bit, called Euthmaeus, he led the defense. Euthmaeus the Pious. <laughs> that's Isn't nice. It, not actually his name, but well, I it think they <laughs> missed a trick. Um, so he's a great guy. He's such a great guy. They made him a saint. Uh, regarded as one of the most important Bulgarian figures of the Middle Ages, he was a big proponent of something I'd never heard of before called Heishkasm. Excuse me? Heishkasm. Heishkasm was a sort of an orthodox Christian belief of enlightenment through what was called uninterrupted prayer to Jesus. So it's a continual praying. Huh. And they did this uh, in a really interesting way. Hmm? I, I think just carry on, but yeah, no, in, un, uninterrupted prayer. Yeah, except interrupted by the you know Ottomans, and that's why. And he by, was the, real. by the Heishgasm at the end. The, of Heish, it. the Heishgasm. <laughs> the, but the, how they did it? What you're saying? I've never prayed that hard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to teach you how to do it. So join along with me. Oh yeah. We'll, so what you we'll need to film do it for the Patreon. is you bend your head, bend your head down. Okay. Focus on your chest, uh-huh. and through rhythmic prayer and breathing. They kind of go into this altered psycho psychological state okay. where like right. they're sort of controlling their breathing God, and just God, focusing. God, 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 God. But, 
<laughs> exactly like that. And then the hate-scasm at the end is apparently really intense. So, wow. yeah, go for it. Um, <laughs> he also set up schools for languages and he wanted to increase literacy. And it was just center points of culture in Bulgaria. They passed down, I guess, the recipes for borscht and stews and stuff as well. I don't know. Um, anyway, his uninterrupted prayer was very much interrupted by the Ottomans. Yeah. Uh, but he staged a ferocious defence there for three months. So it was really, really right. hand-to-hand combat, street to street. Oh, geez. Keeping the Ottomans at bay. And he was corralling all the logistics and, f- and reinforcements and stuff. Whilst constantly well, in rhythmic constantly prayer. Constantly <laughs> in rhythmic prayer. Um, and allegedly, I mean, it's hard to know the passage of time, but allegedly the only reason the city fell was... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's due to treason by one of the non-Christian neighborhoods. Boo! Yeah, and so these non-Christian neighborhoods had some key to a gate or yeah. supported the troops outside in some way and let them in. Whether that's true or not, it's it's unknown. Um, uh, there was a contemporary event. It's it's transcribed. Uh, it describes as follow: that there was a great Muslim invasion happened and total destruction was done with this city and its surroundings. Churches were turned into mosques, priests were expelled and substituted with, quote, teachers of shamelessness, unquote. Oh, I tried to be a teacher of shamelessness, but I, I, didn't, I didn't pass my qualifications. Yeah. Uh, apparently 110 noted citizens of Taranova were, uh, were killed, but Patriarch Euthymius was reprieved and sent to exile into Macedonia, okay. where he lived out the rest of his life until about 1402, sometime around I mean, there. quite frankly, that's a pretty good ending for him, right? Yeah. He could have well, got he, got. He could have got got big time, but he didn't get got unless he got got by God uh. when he was canonized. <laughs> oh. So he got got in the best way. Got got by God. Got got by God. Anyway, after the fall of, uh, of this town in Bulgaria... The rest of Bulgaria did fall about three years later and was under the Ottoman rule. But there was still resistant pockets and anti-Ottoman sentiment until about the 17th century, including large-scale uprisings, uh, two of them at least, Hmm. but to no avail. And they remained inside the fall of the Ottoman Empire until the 19th century. Right, I am going to talk today about France, or France, as it is pronounced. Messy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to talk about the curious and somewhat tragic King Charles VI of France. He was king from 1380 until his death in 1422, uh, having come to the throne when he was just 11. Oh. King Charles, Charles VI was the son of... Charles V, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who had been a, 
um, okay, well, I don't want to trigger you. Okay. Who had been a good king, taking uh-huh. back a lot of English possessions in France. <laughs> so he he was good from the French perspective. Yes. But he was conquering bits of England he was, that lie in modern-day France. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and he left a very healthy budget surplus, but which we love. We love finances <laughs> we in this podcast. We love yeah. finances. But because Charles VI is just 11 when his father dies, he's placed under a regency. And he spent it all on like Pokemon Go cards <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He was really into Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, now, the regency is run by his four uncles, who are all, of course, jostling for power in their own right, mm. and they spectacularly mismanage the country and run down the surplus and just everything is in tatters because they're all basically powerful dukes. So they want primacy for their region. Yeah, they're duking it out. They're, hey, <laughs> maybe that's where it comes from. <laughs> um, but when Charles the sixth, I'll stop saying the sixth, when Charles is 20, he puts an end to the regency. So which Charles? Uh, it's this, <laughs> hold on, let me check. It's the sixth. Uh, he ends the regency. He brings back his father's competent advisors. He restores respect to the throne and people love him. And they call him very creatively, Charles the Beloved. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> nope. Um, unfortunately, it does start to go downhill from there because Charles goes through many, many periods of mental instability. Um, for instance, there was a time when he couldn't remember his name and mm. he didn't know he was king. He didn't recognize his wife, uh, Queen Isabeau, when she came to visit. Once he claimed he was St. George. Uh, He would run down the hallways of the palace howling like a wolf. He refused to bathe or change his clothes for five months. Sorry, Ant, that's triggering for you. I I mean, it is because I'm on month six now and it's totally fine. The body has natural oils. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I'm in the same room as you. Uh, And finally, he thought he was made of glass and he tried to protect himself from breaking by sewing iron rods into his clothes so that if somebody bumped into him... He wouldn't break. I mean, was he made of glass? He was, yeah. So that one was actually perfectly. I mean, it, it's not very funny because this guy was obviously. Oh yeah, you know, he, he he was like incredibly unwell, and yeah, um, poor guy. I think historians have kind of you know retroactively diagnosed him with schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, and it's possible that his mother also had it. But he had these periods of of total lucidity and then Mm -hmm. periods of episodes. And since this is the 14th century, there's just not a good way to treat it. Uh, But one thing that his court tried to do was surround him with a festive atmosphere and protect him from the rigor of governing as much as possible. Right, okay. Yeah, so so almost sheltering him. Yeah, exactly. When you say festive, is is it constantly Christmas there or is it just like... It's constantly (laughs) parties. Okay, yeah. And I'm going to, in fact, talk about one party that happened in 1393. Um, So, yeah, his court would just be devising all of these really elaborate schemes to keep him distracted and happy. Uh, like having the women dress in increasingly ornate dresses and hairstyles, which is just objectively hilarious. (laughs) I think we can all agree. Um, But one of these possible distractions came about in January 1393, when Queen Isabeau threw a masquerade ball to honor the remarriage of one of her ladies-in-waiting. 
And at this time, she wasn't waiting any longer. She she was she was tired of waiting. I'm so sorry. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> I apologize. Let's just cut that no, one out. I think it's great. I loved it. Uh, so at this time, when a widow got remarried, so that her lady in waiting was a widow, mm-hmm. and when widows got remarried, people celebrated with quote mockery and tomfoolery, and all sorts of license disguises and disorders. Right. So, one of Charles's noblemen, a man named... Uh, Here we go. Hugues <laughs> de Guise. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, who was... Hugues. <laughs> well, it looks like Huguet. Huguet. Huguet de Guise. Uh, <laughs> You're so American. <laughs> um, he, H- Huguet, was known for his... This is going to be so upsetting for our I seven French I'm listeners. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I sorry. Honestly, though, the French <laughs> listeners would be more upset if I tried to pronounce it right again. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hugh, let's call him, was known for his outrageous schemes. And he suggested that six men, including king charles dress up as wild men of the woods and perform a dance at the ball charles was all in he loved it they made costumes of linen and flax so they seemed really hairy and shaggy the costumes were sewn to the men's bodies for reasons right yeah and they wore masks um it's possible that they were chained together at the leg uh, and no, nothing's could go wrong here. Look, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is a fire hazard. <laughs> well, do you remember what my three words were? Yes. This party's lit. Oh, dear God. Uh, yeah. Um, they wore masks. Not everyone knew the king was one of the dancers. They were dancing in this, like, diabolical frenzy and just, like, cavorting all over the place. They were screaming obscenities at the audience and just being wild men, and everybody loved it. Now... Because this was such a fire hazard, someone had very smartly insisted that any lit torches needed to stay against the wall and not come yeah. anywhere near the dancers. So they they barred people from holding torches. However, Charles's brother, the Duke of or- Orleans, um, <laughs> Orleans, a- arrived late and was drunk. And he barged into the hall carrying a torch, which he put down near one of the dancers to see his face and try yeah. to guess his identity. A spark fell off the torch and lit the man on fire. And then, of course, it's just pandemonium. Um, The queen faints. Charles just happened to be standing a little bit removed from the other dancers. And his aunt, who was only 15 years old, throws the long train of her dress over him to protect him from the sparks. And that's what ends up saving him. He doesn't catch fire. Um, Several of the other dancers do. Everyone's screaming, trying to rescue them. Uh, One of the dancers jumps in a big vat of wine and uh, a couple others died. Uh, Charles survives. Hugh, the guy whose idea it had been, died of his burns two days later. But according to one of the chronicles of the event, he had a reputation for treating lowborn servants like animals. So the nobles rejoiced at his agonizing death. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we so grim. I know. So grim. It is it is just like they it is so <laughs> tragic. Yes. I mean, already this king had enough to deal with in his life and what was supposed to be like a fun and harmless thing mm. ends up being this horrific event. 
they're so callous as well in their response. Yes, just... I know, I know. It's like <laughs> also like that guy that's renowned for doing mischievous things or whatever. Yeah. Like as far as mischievous things go, dancing around as like a fire hazard is not like yeah. great. Oh no, that was for, <laughs> like do they like rub themselves in like super mischievous? Like were they rubbed in candle wax or something? You said flax, right? Flax and linen, and then I think there must have been like a like a resin or something that was keeping the flax to. So they're like extremely flammable, yeah, yeah. and they couldn't get out of the costumes. <laughs> Which they is were the worst thing about them. being a wild man in the woods is, is how flammable it's, you have it's to dress. A big fire <laughs> yeah, hazard, yeah. yeah. Um, and so in the aftermath, a lot most people put the blame on the duke who had come in with the torch yeah. and then of course there are conspiracy theories that it was an attempt to kill the king yeah. and uh, that the duke was a sorcerer obviously <laughs> I like that one the best yeah <laughs> but uh, it became uh, it came to be known as the Bal des Ardents or like the ball of the flaming men but also ardent the word like if you're an ardent admirer of something yeah, yeah. that's what it comes from because you have this like burning desire huh. of, of love for to something. be a like, wild man yeah it's the same like not from this ball but from that, oh, right, from okay. that french word okay, from that french word i thought like that's where the yeah. word ardent comes <laughs> no, from. no there's no chaucers here they nobody invented <laughs> any words um but uh it was basically the beginning of the end for charles and the people instead of being really sympathetic to what had just happened to him they saw the whole thing as an extravagance and bad judgment on the part of the king yeah. who who shouldn't have been organizing yeah, like this. Exactly. yeah yeah which is like God, add insult to injury, right? They could have been a little sympathetic, but anyway, he, uh, his, 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 the attacks of like mental unwellness increased throughout the 1390s. But again, his reign lasted until 1422. Um, even though at this point he's mostly just a ceremonial king. Yeah, he must There's have been very harmless. Or like, yeah, the actual governance yeah, of was exactly. controlled by. And there's all sorts you know, the, of the Jafars of the court. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, and the um, and the what, Jasmines, because his Jasmine. his queen sort of controlled the regency uh, okay, for the okay. most part. And then, of course, there are all these rumors that she's sleeping with his brother and all this. Yeah, sort yeah, of. yeah. And also, what's the bird called? Iago. 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 Yeah, yeah. Iago's the court. Oh yeah. Did I not mention Iago? Iago was in the ballroom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's really fascinating. There's a lot of big history that comes in his reign like Agincourt is during oh, the wow. reign of Charles VI oh, but nice. he is not really yeah, the not king really yeah. um, and then you know of course Joan of Arc comes later and we'll get to that get to those people at some point but um, <laughs> yeah that's just a little slice of life of Charles VI who Wow. It was dealt a pretty bad hand. Had then... I told this story, it would have been 98% Agincourt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Agincourt didn't, didn't happen, happen then, in 1393. Yeah, yeah. No, but I would have I would have jumped off onto his life <laughs> and then pivoted. <laughs> so there's a fiery ball and then the war. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, I, I apologize. But I wanted to save Agincourt for you to do. Um... Actually, I'd have been pretty pissed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's really interesting. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, it's interesting, but super, super grim. I know it's grim. Poor, poor king. Uh, poor I never king thought I'd be, feel bad for for a the king. French. Yeah, or the <laughs> for the French. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out the 14th century um, fraught with peril. Yeah. Unless you were Geoffrey Chaucer and could just you know do what you want, lose your way into the hearts and <laughs> kidnapped minds of what, the several people. times and escaped yeah. <laughs> and wrote a bunch of stuff I'll never read. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wrote a bunch of stuff you can't read. In fact, <laughs> look. <laughs> Literacy is <laughs> overrated. overrated. <laughs> Just like bathing.
Okay, well, thanks for joining us. That's everything you'd ever need to know about the year 1393. And before we go on, I need to once more (laughs) humiliate myself. You're so contrite. And flagellate myself (laughs) in front of the masses. Yeah, Um, on your knees. uh, I owe an apology. I owe an apology because uh, two weeks ago uh, in our episode featuring the, the war... Uh, that I talked about in, in, South, yeah, in, 1881. South, in South Africa. Yeah. I called it the Boer War. Okay. Right. And it's actually pronounced Boer. Oh. So, right, yes. Yeah. Our South African fans have been uh, uh, openly assaulting me on the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by what? They've been hurling things at they you. They have been yeah. hurling things at me. Yeah. And I am very sorry. I mean, I deserve it. I do yeah. deserve it. Yeah. Um, and so they don't need to apologise for. Um, but I do. So the Boer War. Okay. And I've done that classic thing of just uh, mispronouncing something and not bothering my arse to learn anything. There we go. So there you go. Uh, but anyway, moving swiftly on. Um, I'll never be wrong again. You'll ne- that's- <laughs> First, everyone, he'll never be uh, wrong again. I'm going I'm well, to stand quite, up. The- that's quite a positive outcome, actually, from this, isn't it? That you'll yeah. never be wrong again. Eternal correctness. Yeah. 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 I will be infallible from this day forward to my last. In the extreme hypothetical that yeah. you're not, mm. what happens to you? Oh, death. Okay. Just, great. just straight up death. Good. Just, just. Yeah. Unrelatedly, we'll be looking for a new co-host. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shall we go find our new year? Yes, let's. Will, will you please boot up the random number generator? Absolutely. And as a reminder, we've set the random number generator to choose a year between 1000 BCE and 2000 CE. And the year for next week is 1505. Oh, it's like halfway well, between 1000 and 2000. Actually, never mind. I'll take that back. <laughs> that's halfway between 1500 and 1510. <laughs> wow. When you think crazy. about it like that, that's amazing. That's crazy. Why I can't believe we got that? that. Yeah, that's going to be good. Loads of stuff happening. Shakespeare? Shakespeare? Mm, Got to be. Too, little too early. Too early. Little too I mean, he's early. not alive. We're getting close. <laughs> we're, getting we're, close. Getting, we're really getting close. The Ottomans they're still, they're still, they're still, still around. in the mix. They're now a big go-to for us. They really, really are. They're, yeah. they're catch-all. So we the Romans for the first bit, and then we've got the Ottomans <laughs> well, for Well, yeah, it's like here. the Chinese, and then the Romans, and then the Ottomans, Oh, yeah, and we've got everything America. covered. This, this is easy. <laughs> this is so easy. History's so easy. History's a laugh. Great. 1505. We'll see you next week. Look forward to it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.